The following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Oldham County, Kentucky, and is reproduced here for the benefit of its members. We exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples, and we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information about our church, go to ashlandoc.org. Thanks for listening. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 14. Acts 14. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you. And you can pull that out. And I actually looked at the number. It's The page number is 868. Okay, so we're in Acts 14 this morning. Page 868 in the chair Bible in front of you. And I'm going to be just reading two verses this morning. And I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We stand because God has spoken, and now we are ready to listen. Verse 27 of chapter 14. And when they arrived, Paul and Barnabas, and gathered the church together, They declared all that God had done with them, how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You are worthy to trade everything for. God, no matter what pain, what suffering, What persecution may come, You are worth it. Help our eyes to see this morning, Jesus, that reality and that our hearts would believe it. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Well, this past week, I was driving home from my equip group. And I was, it was about 8 p.m. and... I, was, I got off on Zorn Avenue again. I was in, I have my brand new Prius engine now. And I'm driving, and I, I just hung up on the phone with my wife Emily. There was nothing to be worried about. No one was on the road. There was no rain in sight. And all of a sudden, I catch something out of the corner of my eye, and bang! The windshield comes in on me, glass all over, and I immediately check my chest and say, where's the gunshots? But I didn't find anything. And so I stop the car, I get out and I shake the glass off my body, and I turn to find that someone out of a balcony had thrown a huge stone, and it had hit my windshield, and it was only a miracle by God's grace that it didn't come all the way in and impale me. But the stone went off. That one stone changed everything that I thought I was going to do that Monday evening. That one stone stopped my Prius once again. 
one stone and I was stopped. Church, this morning, I wonder, I wonder if you're much like me in the Christian life. One stone comes and you're stopped. Everything is going fine and dandy. And one stone stops you. One stone makes you forget all the progress that has been made. One stone causes you to forget for who you were made. One stone stops you. But praise the Lord that our text this morning is going to show us how we ought to persevere. How we ought to continue. We're in Acts 14 this morning, but we're in a story that has been carrying on, a narrative that's been continuing. Last week, we just saw the church in Antioch. They called out, they sent out two men, two missionaries by the names of Paul and Barnabas. They were brothers that had shown their faithfulness in the local church. They were some of Antioch's best men. And they send, out, send them out to do the very thing they were called to do, which is to tell people about Jesus, to preach the Gospel. And so they go and they experience opposition. There's a Jewish magician. But that doesn't stop them. They continue to preach in Acts 13. They go to Antioch and Pisidia. And they preach again to their brothers. To their Jewish brethren. And again, those brothers stir up persecution and drive them out. Paul and Barnabas. They're driven out of the city. So from our perspective, as the reader, Paul and Barnabas should be done with their brothers, with the Jews, with their kinsmen, their family. They should wash their hands with them. So when chapter 13 closes and the curtain goes all the way across the stage, we are anticipating that rejection. And we see that. They shake their dust off their feet and we think, okay, they're going to move on. And now we come to chapter 14 The curtain opens again, and I invite you to read with me in verse 1. Now, at Iconium, they, Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. What did they do after all of this persecution? They go right back in to the very place that the Jewish brethren Worship. What are they doing? Aren't they done with these people? No. Paul and Barnabas, they don't give up on their fellow sons of Abraham, their kinsmen according to the flesh. They go right back to them. But think about what this meant for them. Just think about Paul. These people were his best friends growing up. These were the people that studied Torah with him in the synagogue. These were the people that were his neighbors that ate meals with them and watched over him as a little kid. These were the people that saw him grow up and tell him, you're going to be the best Jewish rabbi in all of Israel. Those were the people that he keeps going back to, that they keep going back to. No matter how they treat him, no matter what they say, Paul keeps going after them. 
So that's the first thing I want you to see in the text this morning is the cycle. The cycle. They preach, they're persecuted. They preach, they're persecuted. Read with me in verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for no long time, for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews. Some sided with the apostles. When the attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it, fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They preach their family slanders. They preach with more power. Their family picks up stones. They move on. They preach more. No matter how intense this persecution gets, they continue to preach. The image that I have comes from the American TV show Wipeouts. I mean, Paul and Barnabas are the the lucky contestants. And so they run through the course and then just get clobbered by one of those swinging arms, and they go flying with their feet out from under them into the water. And they slowly get back up to the podium, and they go again. They go through the course, and that same arm hits them again, and they fly into the water. They get up, and they start again. They're persecuted. They preach the gospel again. And when you think, oh, The people are poisoning the minds of the people that they're talking to. So they leave. I I love verse 3. It says, so they stay a long time. Okay, So even when it gets tough, they keep preaching the gospel. And, and And I don't want you to think, church, that this is just a man on the street with a megaphone. Okay, I think we think preaching the gospel is not less than that, but it's more than that. It, we, we don't get all the picture. Paul and Barnabas talked with people. They sat down and had meals together and pointed people to Jesus. That was also sharing the gospel. So they were doing all of this. And they're finally pushed out of Iconium. They go to Lystra and Derby. And I want you to think, okay, these cities are like Dallas-Fort Worth. They, they, these cities aren't too far away. They're connected in many ways. Uh, and I mean, like when you go to that airport, what city are you in? Are you in Dallas? Or are you in Fort Worth? I'm so confused. I just say both. I'm in DFW, okay? Because I don't know. They're, they're so close together. Well, Lister and Derby are much like that. They're a day's journey away. They're filled with people that are image bearers, who believe a lot of the same things, and they all need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're going to see what happens there. Turn with me in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. 
Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of the Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought out oxen and garlands to the gate. And they wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowns. So Paul and Barnabas, they go into the city and continue this same message. It doesn't change. New people, same message. Jesus is the only one that saves. Christ crucified. And this time, God accompanies their great message with a miracle, with sign and a wonder. And this was the same miracle that God accompanied Peter and John's message in Acts 3 when they were going in the temple. This is God saying in a very big way, listen to them. Listen to them. However, people of Lyconia, they misunderstand this miracle like most people do. The interesting detail in verse 11 is they switch to their first language, Lyconian. So you, you, the scene here is Paul and Barnabas, they're speaking in their accent of Greek that the people understand. And then all of a sudden, they switch to their first language, their heart language. And I'm unsure. Why, why did they do this? You know, my first thought is, you know, spiritual things are, are best thought through in the first language, and that might be the reality. Or maybe they didn't want Paul and Barnabas to know what they were saying. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but say you're having a conversation in your BFG, you're speaking in English, and Mitchell and Laura choose to have their own little conversation in Spanish. Okay, I know that Mitchell is not talking about me. He's probably asking Laura some philosophical question about what is happiness, right? He's not actually, you know, it's not about me. He's not about my wife. There, he has a, a new idea. So he's going to ask Laura about it. But why, why do we think that? We think that, oh, they, they switched their first language. They're talking about them. That's exactly what Paul and Barnabas are feeling in this moment. They preach, God confirms the message with a powerful healing, and there's a bunch of hustle and bustle. There's excitement. They're shouting. They think maybe they're going to their houses and grabbing their idols, and they're going to bring them back to the, the city, and we're going to burn them together. Maybe they're recanting all of their sinful ways. Maybe they're going to get their neighbors to tell them all that God has done. Like the woman at the well, no. What was clouded by language becomes clear by action. There's now a train of people dressed in their religious garb with sacrifices in hand, and they're coming straight for Paul and Barnabas. And they understand immediately, these people are not worshiping Yahweh. They're not worshiping Jesus Christ. They're worshiping us. And so this confusion shows us something, you know, it shows us the necessity of language. Church planting among the nations is not going to happen with our yo caro quesadilla con polo, okay? Only a few people got that, but that's our weak attempt as Americans to try to speak Spanish at a Mexican restaurant. But when we, when we send people... When we send people from Ashland Community Church, 
to go as a church planning team, you know, long-term missionaries. The expectation is that those people are going to learn that language at advanced proficiency. And it's one of the ways that we as the church, it's one of the ways we're going to hold them accountable. You know, the first few years that they're there, we're not asking any other question but how's language? What's your language proficiency? You know, are you, are you working on that diligently? You know, translators, they're good for those provisional, week-long stints, but anything longer, we have to have a high proficiency of language and culture, and if not, we're going to just have people that create Mormonism 2.0, you know? How do we know that they're going to be orthodox? That, that we have no, no confidence in that. We can't understand. And so, Paul and Barnabas, they wish they knew Lyconian in this moment. Thankfully, it becomes clear because they come walking to them with sacrifices in hand. But let's see how they respond. Verse 14. But when the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and that is all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave him without a witness, himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So how do they respond to this false worship? They preach. The people mock with their sacrifices, and they tell them, you guys need a bigger picture of God. They come with sacrifices for mere men. And Paul and Barnabas say, we are men of the same nature. We are creation. Worship the Creator. Worship God. But the people didn't want to hear that. And they continue to mock these clear monotheists with their polytheistic practices, their pagan worship. And we say, what foolish Lyconians. Worshiping the creation, not the Creator. They're just like those foolish Americans that camp outside of Apple waiting for that iPhone 14 Pro. Or those foolish Americans that worship electronic devices on Black Friday and run over people in the process. No. You might say, Brother Logan, I don't worship the creation. The God of self, convenience, and ease. You know why? I, can, I quit my Amazon Prime membership two months ago. I don't worship myself or convenience or ease. But no, church, I want to dig a little deeper. I want us to, to see, I want to see what sits on the throne of our hearts when we are asked to give up five straight nights in the summer for VBS. I wonder what's really going through your mind when you have to set your alarm 30 minutes earlier so you have to come to Ashland Kids. You know, or you're, incon you're inconvenienced by a brother because they need your help. 
or sister, I want to really know what's firing across the synapses. My guess is if you're much like me, you result to worshiping the God of self. Your free time, your sleep, your time for yourself. And our mentality slips into this reality of what's the least I can do and still be a part? What's the least I can get involved? What's the least that I can serve? And I'm asking you today, just like what Paul and Barnabas asked the Lyconians, to reject that. Reject that thinking. And when, that, when those thoughts come, and I know they will, of to think inward, to think about me, 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 you call them out and call them as untrue. And spend your life being inconvenienced for these people, for these brothers and sisters here at Ashland and for the world. So let's remember the cycle. So they've just finished preaching. What do we expect? Persecution. And we would be correct. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. So his brothers, from a long way away, his family, from, from far distances, come and find Paul. And they accomplished this time what they set to do earlier. They had picked up stones earlier, but now they get to finish the job. Now they get to throw it, throw them at his head. And this stoning was not like that random dude throwing a, a rock, a stone, and that hit my car this week. No, these stones came from family. They came from people he loved. And that's what made it hurt so much more. And last time, if you remember, we heard about stones. Paul was handing stones to the people in Jerusalem, outside the city, that were impaling them at Stephen's head. Now, he's having his own head broken with stones. And they leave him for dead. Not even dignified enough to bury his body. This is showing total humiliation, total abandonment. What does he do, church? What does he do after this pinnacle, this zenith of the persecution? Verse 20 and 21. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, entered the city on the next day, and went on with Barnabas to Derbe, when they had preached the gospel to that city, had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So he keeps preaching. One stone does not stop Paul here. He keeps telling about Jesus indiscriminately to more Jews and even more Gentiles. Doesn't matter. But talk about persecution amidst well, talk about the persecution, but also talk about his perseverance through rejection. The stones didn't stop him. Nothing said, nothing done could stop him. And Stephen's words, remember Stephen's words, Father, 
Forgive them for they know not what they do. They have become Paul's words. Stones? No. Not stomping. I love these people. I love these people so much that he writes about this in Romans 9. He says this about his brothers. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my family, for the sake of my brothers, kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul says, I'm willing to be damned for these people. I am willing to be burned with the flames of hell so my family, my brothers, they can walk on the streets of gold with Jesus. That's what he's saying. And that's what we see. He's saying, I would forgo all that I have longed for so that my family, my brother and sister, could truly see stones may come Paul says I'm not stopping and church this the call of this text is so hard and believe you me I am not there we've all had those metaphorical stones thrown at us and it's usually always by the people that we love the most the people that we care the most about our unsaved daughters brothers uncles granddaughters that we've labored to share the gospel with and they've rejected it over and over and we're tired and we're weary maybe we've given up we think they will never believe and they've cast stones at us saying I'm done with you you brainwashed me nothing good can come from 3714 Highway 146, Buckner, Kentucky. Those are a bunch of fools. They've thrown those stones. And has that one stone stopped you from going any further, from continuing the conversation, from continuing to pray, to continuing to preach the Gospel to them? God is calling us in this text to persevere in that great sharing of Christ. Persevering in those spiritual conversations pointing them always, driving them to Jesus, being that signpost. And God is calling us here to not give up until their last exhale. They're never too far. And I recognize that this is hard, church. I am a man just like you. I have family. I have friends. I have people that I love. And sometimes when I go with Breck and Mark and they go and do street evangelism, it's so much easier to talk to some rando person on the street that I'll never see again than to sit in a living room with somebody that I love or sit in a coffee shop with somebody that I care about and tell them again about Jesus. There's a man who I'll call Muhammad who became a Christian through the ministry of Ashland Lexington and is one of uh, my best friends. He doesn't live in Lexington anymore. But it was a powerful conversion, a powerful following of Jesus. 
And he made this very clear distinction that I love. He says, when you talk about Islam, he says, I hate Islam, but I love Muslims. I love Muslims. And you want to know why, Logan, I love Muslims? Because my dad's a Muslim. My mom's a Muslim. And my sisters are Muslims. I love those people. And so I, you've probably heard stories about when people come to faith in, the, in that background, there was great fear for him. You know, he was going to go and tell his dad. His, he told his sisters first. They told him, don't, don't go, Muhammad. Don't go tell dad. Because he will kill you. He says, no. I want my dad to know Jesus more than I care about my life. And so when his dad came to visit him, he was a student at UK, when his dad came to visit him from this restricted country, he visited him. He walked through that door and said, Dad, I have something to tell you. I want you to know that I have chosen to follow Jesus. And his dad took him, threw him out, and said, you're glad that you're in America or I would kill you. Took his luggage, threw it out. And I asked him, Muhammad, what do you think about your dad now? He says, I'm never giving up on him. Because I hate Islam, but I love Muslims. So he keeps sharing. He loves his dad so much that he's not going to be stopped. Even life itself doesn't matter. He must know. And church, this week I want us, I want me, I want you to persevere in this task. That family member or a close friend that's thrown those stones at you, that person that you think, oh no, not him, not her. No, that's the exact person I'm talking about. After that service today, I want you to text them or her and tell them that you want to meet up this week or sometime soon. And if they don't live close, that's okay. Set up a time to talk on the phone. and Set up a time and then meet with them again. Persevere in that and talk with them. Hear them out. And when they share those felt needs, because we all know people, they want to say they're not broken. But they are truly broken. And when they share that brokenness with you, point them one more time to the one who meets all their needs. Tell them about Jesus, how He's gentle and lowly at heart, how He will forgive their sin and love on them forever. And just like Paul, if those stones come, and maybe they will, we don't stop. We keep praying. We keep persevering with this mentality in mind. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The last thing I want you to see in the text this morning is the results. The results. Verse 21 again. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so they go back to the very place where they mocked them, the very place where they picked up stones to throw them, and they find the brothers and they, they preach, they disciple them. This is, this is not you know, getting dis- decisions and praying a prayer and leaving. No, Paul and Barnabas, they follow up. They don't abandon them. They understand that the church is the means and the end of missions. Just like Pastor Casey says, if it doesn't end in a church, then it's not truly Great Commission work. So we see the end here. We're seeing that Great Commission be fulfilled. Churches are formed. Elders are appointed. And the gospel continues to advance to the ends of the earth. And this takes time. And so we, they, they reject the notion of efficiency at all costs. Paul and Barnabas do not just want converts. They want churches. They want healthy churches. Churches that decide we want to plant more churches. So now what? Verse 24 and following. Then they passed through Pisidia. And came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, how they opened, how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. And so they preach the gospel on the way home, and then they go home. And church, I love this. I absolutely love this. Because the missionaries, they come home. Those missionaries aren't forgotten. They are loved and supported into the end. They don't have to be vagabonds with no place for home. And I'm sorry, I don't want to make this text about me, but I cannot think about a better text that represents how Ashlyn has been for me and Emily. This home, this home, and it's not just about us. There's going to be many families that are sent out by this church, many missionaries that will go out from us. And I know that whenever our plane or their plane touches down in Muhammad Ali Airport, there's going to be a group of people of brothers and sisters waiting to welcome us home. And that's not just for us. That's for anyone that would accept the call to go and plant churches overseas to the nations. This church, I believe this church, will do that for you because they've already done it for us. And they will continue to do that for us. And for you. We're not going by ourselves. So 
better choose we're gonna choose wisely but uh, we're not going by ourselves we want to go together as a family to come back to family and so what do they do they've just been on their first missionary journey they've gone through all of these cities God has moved and they gather the church together they say get together We're having an ends of the earth night. No, we're not just having one ends of the earth night. We're having a month-long marathon of ends of the earth nights because there's been so much that God has done. No renegade missionaries here. No one doing their own thing and asking the pastor to bless it. No, Paul and Barnabas, they're sent out from their community church. They come back to their community church, and they give a report at the congregational meeting. You got the BFG report, you got the equipped report, you got the financial report, and then the church planning overseas report. And what does Paul say in that report? What we read at the start. God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Are you kidding me, Paul? As they were banging stones at your head, Open door? That's not what I call an open door. (laughs) If somebody starts throwing stones, I'm probably hitting tail and running. But that was an open door. Those Lyconians, they mocked him. They mocked Paul and Barnabas. But they said, no, we had an open door. Even when the stones were flying from family. If they had an open door then we too, church, have an open door with the people that we love the most. Persevere, church. Persevere with these people that come to your mind until the end. And remember, when the stones come, we're not going to stop. Let's pray.